The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the new quarter for stocks, earnings, and the Fed now officially on the clock. What will all of it mean to your money? We debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosha, Richard Saperstein, Steve Weiss, Pete Najeri, and the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's take a look at where we stand right now. Again, new month, new quarter, same issues, though. Fed, earnings, Russia, who knows what else. We're negative now. Ugly close yesterday. A little bit of carry through today. Can't really find direction on this first day, Shannon. Tom Lee with a note today going full risk on in the second half of 2022. 5,100. We're going to hit it before year end, he says. Deutsche Bank also says they are cautiously constructive on equities. Are you? Um, I would I don't want to use the term cautiously constructive or cautiously optimistic because I feel like those are a bit overused. But yes, we are optimistic about equities in the back half of the year. But I would say, Scott, that this is not equities, you know, in the most broad of terms. I would say that there is going to continue to be uh, market volatility as we move forward over the next couple of months. There are going to be pockets of winners and losers. Again, the things that we've been talking about under the surface. Um, fundamentals are increasingly important, I believe, as we move into an environment where inflation is not likely to slow perhaps as quickly as we wanted it to. We're not getting as much easing of those supply chain dislocations as we were anticipating coming into this second quarter. Um, but the reality is, is that, you know, the first quarter was marked by um, what I frankly thought were very conservative outlooks from many of the companies that reported. Um, it was not a strong season for several of the sectors and subsectors that um, many of us are invested in. And therefore, looking ahead to the second quarter, I feel like the stage has been set that companies have digested in terms of their outlook the expectation that the Fed is going to be very aggressive. Um, perhaps they are still digesting the potential implications of the war in Ukraine and that being a war of attrition. Uh, but I think that we're in a better position this quarter to take a look at those expectations for earnings growth. Yes, they're coming down. Yes, GDP is slowing. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that there are not opportunities. And when compared with what else you could be doing with your money, bonds aside, even if you're sitting in cash and waiting for the next best opportunity, there are things in the market that will provide you a better return than cash in this environment, although it is not as easy to find those pockets as it perhaps was over the last couple of All years. All right, Pete. So you know who is not constructive on stocks? And don't say Steve Weiss. I know. I know you want to jump. I mean, you're thinking of Weiss. You channel Weiss automatically when I say that. But it's not Weiss. Dan Niles. <laughs> on Squawk Box today, I want you to listen to what he said, and we can react on the other side. You should be completely out of the pool. As we've said multiple times, if you're a retail investor and you can't trade the market every single day, set on cash. That's the best thing. Wait this out because the Fed's going to be raising rates this entire year. 
Um, if you can be nimble, then you can buy stocks that will hopefully outperform and put shorts against that and hopefully be able to make money. All right, Pete, what do you make of that? Big reality check from Dan Niles. Do you agree? Says you should be completely out of the pool. Well, I, I would say I would agree with one side of what Dan was talking about, which is that you need to be nimble. But I wouldn't say it's in stock, Scott. I would say that's why you and I had this discussion the other day about how many option positions that I had, had on. Like and it was an extraordinary number. Something like 68. Yes. Ex- yeah. And I have t- I've trimmed back some, but not a whole lot today. And as a matter of fact, I've probably added a couple o- along the way as well. So because of that, maybe it's kind of neutralized out still somewhere close to 68. But as far as what Dan Niles is talking about there, I think you could trade the options. The options are giving you great opportunities day in and day in out. You and I both know it. We talked about those big cap techs when they were buying them a couple weeks ago, when it was Apple, it was Microsoft, it was Facebook. It was just about every one of those big name tech names outside of Amazon that you could see. And we were seeing all that option activity. You've got to be very disciplined, though. But we talked about you've got to be nimble. And if you can be nimble, that's the way to do it. And that's one of the reasons why when I spoke to Patty earlier today, I was saying, look, I see so much more opportunity right now trading with options than I am finding opportunities within stocks that it makes far more sense to do that. I also seem to be sitting on a fair, fair amount of cash right now because of the fact that I'm doing far more trading in options than mm. I am in stock. So at the time, if I see the right opportunity, Scott, I'll jump on it. Uh, I, I'm looking at stocks all the time trying to make that decision. Apple was one of those, but the options absolutely hey, Pete, exploded relative to what the stock did. Bear with me one did. second, yeah. Pete. We have a result from that union yeah. vote regarding Amazon. Deirdre Bosa has it for us right now. Hi, D. Yeah. Scott, this is an historic first for Amazon. Workers at a Staten Island warehouse have voted Friday just moments ago, we got the final results to join a union. Uh, again, this is the first time that this has happened on U.S. soil, and it represents Amazon's biggest labor challenge ever. Uh, the outcome, of course, represents a landmark win for organized labor. There was another vote at an Alabama warehouse, which actually did not pass. So anti-union efforts won, but it was a much closer vote than the one that we saw a year ago. So this certainly has major implications. We are currently seeing Amazon shares weaken a little bit still up about four tenths of a percent. We'll bring you updates as we get them. But remember, Scott, that this is not the end of this story. We are likely to see an appeal from Amazon that could take weeks or months um, at this warehouse and potentially others. All right. That's Debosa. Appreciate that update, Deirdre uh, Bosa for Steve Weiss, I mean, you own before we get to the, the broader market. Let's let's react to this. Uh, you do own the stock. Uh, D said it's a historic moment, certainly for Amazon. We can fully understand that. Is it a historic moment in any way for the stock from here, which is lower? Um, I mean, it's taking a little bit of a move lower, but it's still higher on this day. Well, the big issue is not so much what the uh, what the cost will be, because Amazon's paying some good wages. The issue really is in terms of the shifts and how they can then work their work their uh, their schedules for employees. So employees will have more of a choice now. They don't want to work at night. That means you got to pay more to get other players work night. Uh, so, look, I don't think it's a disaster for the company. Uh, clearly, it's a bump along the road. you got to wonder. It's not Staten Island. Will it expand throughout the country? And, of course, if it does, costs go up. So what that means is that, you know, you're going to see prices go up to the consumer. So it evens out somewhere in terms of what it means for shareholders. So I'm not worried about it other than the headlines, which may cause, cause some consternation with some owners. It's not a reason to sell the stock. OK, so let's let's go back to what we were talking about with Pete. 
And Pete said very, something very interesting, right? You've got to be nimble uh, in this market. And he had a bit more of a cautious take on the market, I think is fair to say, right? Not looking to make a big bunch of stock bets, playing the options because he can be right. more nimble. Our point is, and Niles's point is, maybe the average Joe can't be as nimble. So maybe out of the pool is the best place to be right now, because in some respects, I wonder if people truly understand what's coming from the Fed. And I think that's part of Niles's point. What do you think? Well, look, I've been cautious on the market. I'm still cautious. It seems like every strategist is still bullish. Uh, you know, they got one hand behind their back, maybe. But saying the second half of the year is going to be great. Uh, for the second half to be great, I think that the first half has to be ugly. So we're a long way away from the second half of the year. So let's forget about that in terms of the here and now. I wouldn't sell stocks that you have big gains in and pay taxes because then you're betting on, on a big decline in the market only to get back in. So you're basically churning your own personal balance sheet. However, I would not put new money into the market except for very selectively. Look, you don't have to be in the market. And cash is a declining asset. We all know that. So the bet is, will stocks decline more than cash? And I believe that you're not getting paid for the risk right now, that there are still major issues out there. If, they, if the war in, in Ukraine does, you know, for whatever reason, if it, if it settles, if there's a major ceasefire, if they part ways, sure, the market will pop. But let's not forget, the war's been going on for just over six weeks, and the problems that the market's facing – which is the Fed tightening, and I think you'll see a series of 50 bips, are major problems that existed pre-Ukraine. Those aren't going away. Labor, labor, you know, the cost of labor is going up. Cost of labor never goes down. So you can't take money away from people. So, yes, I'm still worried about the market. Uh -huh. I still believe that the pressure on margins and corporates we're going to see and that the pressure on consumer, and we're a consumer-led economy, 70%. I don't know why people don't get that, that the consumer has to slow down because prices are so high. They're getting killed. Well, I think so, they, they, yes, they say cautious. that. They say that, but they're like, well, the economy is so strong that even if the consumer slows down a little bit, we're, we're still going to be fine. And, and by the way, to finish part of Niles's point, he gave us a lot uh, this morning, by the way. He said, we think the S&P is going to go down at least 20% peak to trough, and it could potentially be much higher than that because you have inflation running at 40-year highs. So, you know, this notion that, oh, we had a wonderful comeback in March and an ugly end to it yesterday, um, maybe that's just the beginning of a big giveback, Steve. Yeah, look, I mean, I can't pick levels. I think that's a fool's game to say down 20 percent. I mean, but you get the point, right? You get the, I get point. the point. The point is that we're taking out the lows, yeah. man. Right. Directionally, I just think we've seen a move, major move up in the market. It's not when you buy it. It's when you sell it. So if you have good profits and you're a trader, take it. Few people can be as nibble as Pete is. Few people have the interest in doing that. That's what he does every day. And maybe options are a good way to play it. I still prefer stocks, options selectively. But to me, the market, the pop we've seen is basically over. And I look at some stocks. I mean, take a look at the transports today. Take a look at FedEx, GPS. I can't figure out why they're down. FedEx just reported, you know, so the number's good. They just had a change in management that I think is very positive, bringing new blood in there. He's not new to the company, but the market does not trade on fundamentals. So you got to look at what it's trading on, and you have to look at liquidity. Liquidity sucks. You've got index funds that own 50% of the market at least, every stock. Then you've got the algos that trade in the headlines. And then 
Beyond all that, you've got the backdrop of rising rates, of declining profits, and that's just not a market where you deploy capital unless something absolutely gets destroyed. But that says it does trade on fundamentals. It is trading on fundamentals, getting ahead of what it perceives to be the problems, Rich Saperstein, that are in front of us. All of the things that Steve Weiss just said, out of control inflation. Yes, maybe it looks toppy in certain areas, but a Fed that's going to be especially aggressive to get a handle on it. And then earnings have to really pick up the slack. Are they going to do it? Remains to be seen. Week or so away from now, we're going to we're going to start to to figure it out. Where do you come down on this, Mr. Saperstein? Well, if the markets survive Putin, they still have to meet Powell. And that's going to be the tough one. So the conflict in Ukraine has accelerated the trends that were in place before before the war, meaning uh, deglobalization, uh, shortages of oil. And now we're facing higher prices in agriculture, commodities and oil. That's just putting more pressure on the Fed because the Fed is already behind the curve. So now if you look at the Fed and what they can do, well, if we go back to 2018, the balance sheet uh, was about four and a half trillion or 23 percent of GDP. Today, it's roughly just a little under nine trillion and 37 percent of GDP. Back in 2018, Q4, the market dropped 20 percent when the Fed just did QT light by cutting just 400 billion dollars. So if we look at the risks today, we still have the uncertainty of the, the conflict in Ukraine. I think the market's way underpricing that. And then you walk into a Fed that's got to get more aggressive. Mm -hmm. So the combined impact of those two are certainly going to have an impact on the market. That's why we are very cautious here. I understand. I mean, and and Weiss, to your point about FedEx and the transports, you know, John Spallanzani uh, points out, it's like, hello, I mean, you, you know, the inversion. Those kinds of stocks, more cyclical natured stocks, don't like an inversion of the yield curve. Uh, because, again, it, it, it puts recession on the clock. At least that's what the narrative is. So stocks like FedEx and some of these others. And when I look at these names, J.B. Hunt, uh, so many of them today are down. Union Pacific, CSX, so the rails, the freights, these other names are all down across the board today. Yeah, that's true. But look, I, I, th- I think it's old school thinking. Uh, you've got still phenomenal tailwinds in terms of online. These companies are at full, full capacity and then some. Cyclicality, well, then why isn't, why isn't you know, copper down? Commodities are as cyclical as, cyclical as you can get. And I can give you other stocks, not just commodities that aren't down, what these stocks are down. And look, look by the way, where FedEx, FedEx is relative to where it's been for the year. So I, I, I do I don't think that's it. I mean, if that were the case, you'd see just a much broader decline in the market uh, today. So there's something else going on there. Uh, I just don't know what it is. I mean, it's a pretty precipitous decline. There's the transports down four point four percent. Who's going to say something? Was that you, Rich? Yeah. So um, the look, we had a situation where we had supply chain shortages, and that's because the consumer bulked up during covid. Now the trends are going to move from purchases to experiences, from buying more gas grills and backdoor heaters to restaurants, travel, leisure. So I believe there's going to be less pressure on the supply chain and less pressure on inflation as a result of that. 
uh, and you'll have reduced demand, even though they're operating at full capacity in the transport sector. Plus, you have the situation where Amazon is building out their own logistics. Okay, I got a trade alert that I got to let you know about. Joe Terranova, I think, is on the phone. You on the phone, Joe? Oh, there I'm he is. He's not on the phone. He's, he's live and in person. Uh, Old Dominion uh, is down 6%. You sold it. Speaking of transports. Down 12 per- Yes, uh, down 12% over the last three days, off 22% from the December highs. Uh, still own it in Joe T. I'll address that at the end of April, but sold it personally today. And obviously, a rising inflationary costs, rising fuel costs, and then the expectation, there's an analyst note out today talking about freight demand beginning to contract. That all results in a potential problem for the shippers. Old Dominion was a stock I bought in early 2021. I've got a nice 20% gain on it, but I don't want to see that 20% gain uh, disappear. Yeah, see, so stay with me then, because I'll bring Weiss back into the conversation. Weiss, all of the things that Joe just said are reasons why the transports are down. It seems like it's pretty black and white. Well, except for one thing that Joe said is that FedEx, which doesn't do business with Amazon anymore, uh, passes on their fuel costs. They all have fuel surcharges. And that's true of XPO, another one I own. So they're, they're not the way they used to be. Now, they, they also pass on some of their labor increases, price increases. So that's not the issue. The issue is, yes, you've read some things about freight slowing down a little bit, but that's more anecdotal. Frankly, it's just not the case in terms of what's going on with FedEx, what's going on with UPS, uh, what's going on with XPL Logistics. It's just not happening. XPL Logistics breaking the company apart. I mean, that stock should be 100 bucks today. It shouldn't be where it is down. So this is typically the time you wait for the bottom. I'd rather wait for the turn, and then you add to it. So, look, I'll do a okay. little more work on it. I haven't done enough work on it, frankly, to have much conviction to add to the position here. But nor am I going to go and sell these stocks down 4% today. I'm going to wait and see, oh, okay. you know, said do some work. I got you. And before I let you go, uh, Joe, you bought Amazon, which you said uh, you were flirting I with. I did. And now you bought it. A- a- absolutely. So with, with the funds that were raised from Old Dominion, uh, I brought Prologis, ticker symbol P-A-L-D, own that in Joe T. That's actually, if you get inventory build, Scott, that's actually thinking about logistics and goods being stored in warehouses. And then Amazon, I told you I wanted in on this stock. Uh, I heard the news before about the union worker vote. I think that was your opportunity. I want everyone to think about this the same way Alphabet was thought about back in 2019. Sideways, mega cap equity, that ultimately when the momentum began to build in a very positive direction, guess what? Everyone came in, raised the allocations back to overweight. That's exactly what I think is going to happen here for Amazon. I think Amazon is going to be the best performing mega cap equity as we move forward over the next 12 to 18 months. I'm glad I'm finally in. All right. I appreciate it, Joe. You take care. You have a good weekend. I'll see you on the other side of that. Speaking of momentum behind Amazon, um, on March 8th, the stock guy's bottom. It's a perfect segue for me to get to my next topic. Stock's up 23%. Since then, I mentioned a bunch of gold that Dan Niles gave us this morning on Squawk Box. He also said of tech when asked by Andrew uh, what he thinks about the tech trade, given how negative he appears to be about the overall market. 
said the following. The last rally that we had, it's pretty typical on the higher end of normal, but 25 percent of bear market rallies, you give back 100 percent of the prior leg down. When companies report and guide, they're going to cut numbers off of everything we're talking about. Inflation, the war and stocks are going to start going down again. Is that, Pete, where we might be heading, especially for a group of stocks like tech that have surged from the bottom? Names like Meta up 20, NVIDIA up 28 percent, Tesla 54 percent, Apple 15. I mentioned Amazon and Microsoft 13 and a half. Yeah, that's tough for me to say that I think that these are are stocks that are actually going to be going down to that sort of degree, Scott. I mean, certainly they can adjust, but I, I I don't foresee that at all. As a matter of fact, I like these tech names. As a matter of fact, when you look at what happens when the Fed gets out there and the Fed's talking about raising rates, believe it or not, technology oftentimes can actually run along with it. So... I look at uh, all these names the same way as I have for a long, long time. The reason I'm not buying the stocks and the reason I'd rather trade in the options is just because of the volatility that we are seeing right now in there. But as that starts to settle back down at some point, it hasn't yet. But when it does, I think that the opportunities will be there to maybe add to some of those positions. They all have great free cash flow, Scott. When you look at these various names, they all have so many similarities, other than the fact that some of them do trade a little bit higher P.E. than others. Apple being in the mid-20s now, but you look over at Meta and it's trading, what, below 20. So when I look at these and I see the free cash flow, I see where they're trading on a P.E. level, where I, when I see what their, their trajectories look like going forward, um, I think pullbacks would be something that would definitely need to be bought. I don't see that coming, though, Scott. I think that we've seen those big, giant pullbacks, I think, in many of these big tech names. I don't know necessarily that they're going to go straight up from here. I don't think so. But I do think that they're in a range right now that's going to be fairly tight, and it's the rest of the market. It's, it's why, and we haven't gotten to it yet, but when you look at some of the Kathy Wood stocks, those are the names that are going to be giving you those stomach-moving type moves to the upside, but mostly to the downside, in my opinion. I mean, unless, Shannon, you think this whole thing's been just nothing but a bear market rally to begin with, and that the gains that I said and Apple rallying so hard off that 150 low, we're going to be talking about levels like that, however painful it might be to entertain that thought. So, you're, I mean, you're, you're presenting a, a couple of different cases here, Scott. You're talking about recession, right? We're talking about transports being down. We're talking about demand being lower. Um, and then we're talking about the potential for technology stocks to sell off in that environment. Don't see it. What I see is the fact that we're going to continue to see increased enterprise spend. We're going to continue to see lower growth over the course of the next couple of years. Where do you want to be when the economy is growing at a slower pace? You want to be in companies that can continue to grow their earnings, that have free cash flow, that can buy back their stock. Why is this not seen as setting up to a similar scenario as what we experienced prior to the pandemic? And I think that if you differentiate between the types of technology, not just in the technology sector, but thinking about the opportunity to invest in companies that still can grow based on disruption and innovation, that's where you should be focused over the course of the next year. And I don't disagree with Pete. I think there are absolutely opportunities in big cap tech. It's why I own so many of these names and why I will continue to own them and potentially add to them if there are more sizable pullbacks, which I think will be unjustified. I mean, Shannon owns Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Meta, Alphabet, Adobe. So, yes, you are fully exposed um, to technology. Rich Saperstein, Alphabet, Apple, Microsoft. You sound pretty negative, at least cautious, to say the least, on the market. Are you, what do you think about these stocks, given the run that most of them have had? Well, they're three of our largest positions, and we'll continue to hold them. 
Uh, Pete talks about cash flow. So you look at, uh, take Goog, for example, 91 billion of uh, operating cash flow, roughly 5% of market cap. Compare that with the uh, Treasury at 2.5%. Uh, it's good money. Plus, you have a Fed that's going to tighten. And I want to own companies that have very high levels of free cash flow, consistent free cash flow. And we're finding that in the oil patch and obviously in large cap tech. The difference that investors have to really identify is between companies in the technology sector that are zero cash flow companies that have bounced off the bottom, the ARC names, versus these large cap tech companies that have very strong moats around their businesses. And I think there, there isn't a lot of uh, uh, you know, risks that will occur. Sure, we talk about the, uh, the problems with uh, the privacy issues that will affect some of them, uh, the decreased benefit of the COVID spend that might impact their earnings. But in the long run, these are the names I want to own for the large, the large amount of free cash flow uh, after there are very large amounts of capex. I understand that. But part of my point here is that long term, you can make a very credible case. And I think most people would agree with you um, that they're fabulous stories. I think part of my point to you as a, you know, a very highly rated financial advisor where people lean on for advice, what we witnessed in the earliest part of this past month of March doesn't matter. If the market gets upset, those stocks are going to go lower. Now, they've been able to rally off of those levels, but they're not immune to big pullbacks if the overall market decides that it's going to go lower. Well, no sector is going to be immune. But when we look at the correlation with the market in the last 10 years, the beta of these large cap tech stocks have been cut in half down to one. So they are they are pretty highly correlated with the market. But in an environment like March, I don't know. We're, the only place to hide is going to be cash. And so the greatest uh, hedge right now to the conflict in Ukraine, if you think about it, is going to be the oil patch. So when I look at where we are, we're overweight oil and we're overweight tech. You're overweight oil, which is the best performing sector by far. And you don't have any trepidation about being even more overweight now than you were. I mean, I get it's a was a good place to be. Is it still? I raised the question because so does Lori Calvacina, who is going to be on the closing bell today. She, of course, from RBC, downgraded the energy sector. Our belief is that the stock market leadership is starting to shift away from value and back to growth. Well, when I run a diversified portfolio and a broadly diversified asset allocation for a client, and we're facing a really uncertain environment in Ukraine, I have to think about what's the greatest hedge to a client's portfolio. And today, in that, 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 that points to one thing, it's the oil. And in particular, dependable sources of oil. So we've, we've now moved further into Canadian oils. One of my largest positions is uh, Canadian natural resources, which we bought back in October. And we're still adding to that position. And I think that when you think about like downgrading a sector, it really has to be within the context of an overall portfolio and asset allocation. So I would advise investors to think about how fully invested are they? Where is the hedge against you know a ratcheting up of the conflict in Ukraine? Even though that's not our base case, we see an off ramp as the best case. But I don't think anyone can predict the outcome at this point. Okay, I got to take a quick break. When I come back, we're going to do our call of the day. 
We're also going to talk about a move that Pete made. He told you he's playing the options. He has one he's going to tell you about specifically when we come back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. I'm Frank Holland. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The effort to evacuate some civilians from Maripol remains extremely complex in the words of the International Red Cross. An advisor to the mayor tells The New York Times some buses have left the city, but the governor of Ukraine's Donetsk region complains the Russians are not fulfilling their promises to provide a humanitarian corridor. And Ukraine now says a Red Cross team has been unable to get to the city. COVID hospitalizations, they've hit a new pandemic low. An analysis of government data by NBC News shows they fell 32% to just under 17,000 over the past two weeks. New antiviral treatments are helping to keep infected people out of the hospital. And White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki plans to leave her post for a job at MSNBC. That's what a source familiar with the matter tells CNBC.com. The White House tells us it doesn't have anything to confirm about how long Psaki plans to stay or about any consideration of her future plans. MSNBC and CNBC are both a part of NBC Universal. That's the very latest. Scott, back over to you. Colin, thank you very much. Pete, we've got some business to take care of here. You bought Southwest calls, Southwest Airlines, correct? I did. Yes, I did, sir. As a matter of fact, uh, we've seen a lot of the airlines in the last week or two. It seems like there's been an acceleration of that buying, Scott. And that's in the face of looking at the price of oil and the, the big gains that we've seen there as well, right? And we all know that the costs really come down to the jet fuel, a lot of it. So when you look at this and I start to see Delta getting bought, United being bought, and then Southwest, Southwest made a lot of sense. I like some of the hedging that they talk about. The CEO, when he's on CNBC on a pretty regular basis, does a great job of defining exactly how they are maneuvering through very difficult times. But I'll tell you, Scott, when they, when they started buying the kind of chunky stuff that they were doing, as a matter of fact, they bought 17,000 of the May 50 calls. 
So that intrigued me. Stock was trading about 45 at the time. It's about the same spot that it is now. But that gives me a little bit of time for these to perform. They're not April, so I get a little extra month, obviously, which is something that we haven't been seeing very much of of late in terms of a lot of the options, which are one week long, two week long, maybe a month. These actually extend out to May. So I like that, and I like the opportunity as as I'm watching the economy start to move around a little bit. We all know that. But the, the opening up and feeling more comfortable flying, and at some point in time when they don't have the mask requirements for flying as well, Scott, I think that'll be one more big push to the backside where we're going to see these stocks all make a nice move to the upside. All right, Pete, thank you for that. Now let's talk about a bearish call on the financials. It's from Wolf Research. They downgrade large cap banks to market weight. Timing, not a shock. I mean, it's before earnings. It's our call of the day. All right, Rich Saperstein. So they cut the price targets on most of the banks they cover. They raised Wells's target by a buck. Big whoop. Everything else, though, they did cut. Citibank, they cut to 55 from 63. You cut it to a sell because you got rid of it. Why? Yeah. Well, in the last six months, we've reduced our bank exposure by probably around 50 percent. So we're we're overweight. We own JPM, Goldman uh, and Bank America right now. Citi uh, suffers from being too global. And in an environment we're in now, it's only going to be under further pressure. And we just didn't see that turnaround occurring as quick as we would like. And we had to de- de- we had to raise capital to redeploy. And that's what we did. Now, Weiss, you have said on numerous occasions how much you like Bank of America and you like Brian Moynihan, the job he's done and you own it and you own Goldman Sachs. Um, but I'm told that you're, quote, reevaluating your positions in the financials. What does that mean? Well, you know, what nobody's talking about, including Wolf, is that you're going to have a pretty bad quarter on the investment banking side of these banks. Uh, it doesn't take a genius to see that. There's been a real lack of equity issuance uh, in the first quarter. SPACs are done. You've only seen a couple of those, and who knows why anybody would buy a SPAC at this point. But in terms of IPOs, in terms of secondaries, there's just been, you know, there's been crickets. So those are the highest margin products that the investment banks have. Investment banks, meaning B of A's bank. However, they've got a much broader business than Goldman. So the stocks, I believe, are too cheap to sell. I'm not really worried about the inverted yield curve staying inverted for too long. So this is going to be a rough quarter. Um, I'm inclined to stay with the stocks and, and go through the quarter because I like management of both companies. And I think ultimately they'll be higher in a year. So that's what I'm saying with you. You look at the price targets that will change. You still have pretty good upside. Still have 20% upside at least in both of those, meeting Goldman and B. I mean, if they're, right, if they're right, if right. they're right, if they're right, if they're right. But but look, the yield curve has been inverted. We've seen the stocks come under pressure. They're well off their highs at this point. So I do think you have some upside ahead. This quarter will be messy, no doubt about it. Shan, you got J.P. Morgan, BNY Mellon, BlackRock, Schwab. Different kinds of financial institutions, obviously. But what about the big banks and this call? Since you own J.P. Morgan, uh, they cut the target to 158 from 180. Yeah, and and I actually I don't disagree with Steve. Well, it must be Friday. Um, But I think what we're looking at here (laughs) is if you think about financials, they've been trading as the banks trade. Right. Everybody's been talking about financials as a sector, but really everybody's been talking about large cap banks. 
And I think this is just a great example of the uncertainty around what's happening with the yield curve, the fact that the Fed can only impact one side of that coin. And the reality is, is that all of this market volatility, it may be uh, certainly impacting investment banking Mm. revenue negatively. But you have a lot of other opportunities to make money in the exchanges. Um, We see continued retail interest in investing, so Schwab and BlackRock. So I I think diversifying your financials basket makes a lot of sense. And perhaps if we do get a market pullback, it might be a good time to add to a couple of other large cap banks. But for me, JPM is best in class in terms of large money center banks, and that's why we're positioned there. Okay. But you still got 23 and a half minutes, by the way, left in this program to disagree with Weiss. So don't worry. There's plenty <laughs> well, of time. I, I, my, plenty of time. My, we my all know it's just is, a matter of time. Well, my question to Shannon is why is she content being right only once a week on Friday? I don't know. So, look, we're gonna, we'll take another break. Pete, you get ready for unusual activity. All right, we'll do that right on the other side. You got it. Yeah. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, give it to us, Pete. All right, I'm going to start off with Macy's, Scott. It's been a choppy year for this stock. It's been a bit of a range, but still choppy. Stock was trading exactly where it is right now earlier today. We had a buyer of 5,000 of the Macy's 26 calls, the May 26 calls. Those are going for about a dollar and a quarter. Very interesting to see this because this is still a company that has about a 10% short interest in it, and that, I think, stands out. It's also a company that's made a bit of a turn with some pretty solid free cash flow as well. So I like what we're seeing here, and I think this has a really nice chance to make a move to the upside. Secondly, I've got GDX. That's the gold miners. Now, what's interesting about this one is they've hung in there even despite the fact that gold had made that great run over 2000, pulled back as long as it stayed above 1900. We continue to see a lot of these miners move to the upside. GDX is one of those. They bought 10,000 of the April 29th expiring, the 41 call, Scott. Those are going for about 70 cents. Is this on a breakout? Sure feels like it is. And if you continue to watch the price of gold, I think these gold miners are going to continue to react and continue this move to the upside, maybe break out and put up some new 52-week highs. All right. Good stuff, Pete. Thank you. Home builder stocks, you know they've been struggling this year, down more than 25%. We have trades from the committee coming up next. 
Right, we're back. Home builders have been one of the year's worst trades, especially lately as mortgage rates have surged. So, guys, we're talking builders and we're talking about some of the companies that play into this space as well. New 52-week lows today. The XHB, that's the home builder ETF. Pulte, Whirlpool, Fortune Brands, Shannon's Masco, trading at lows not seen since July of 2020. The home builders that make up the XHB says Bespoke are all down 20-plus percent year-to-date after falling 5-plus percent over the last week. They say they're extremely oversold. I'm wondering how you feel about this trade, which Josh Brown has been speaking about a lot this week as one of the worry points in the market. So I, I think one of the things to think about is whether we're talking about, um, you know, near term pressure from a home building perspective or thinking about long term. Uh, we have a severe undersupply of houses in the U.S. market. That's very clear. Um, and, you know, whether or not we can get those up and running before sort of the next swoon in housing prices remains to be seen. What is a nice way to play this trade, however, is in the repair side. And that's how we're positioned. You talk about Masco. We just bought that stock. Um, Masco, Trex, which we just added to, Home Depot. There are a lot of uh, homeowners right now who are tethered to their home by their mortgage rate. And the fact that those mortgage rates are moving higher is going to preclude them from potentially moving into another home. And so I think a great way to play this adjacency of continued emphasis on home renovation versus home versus actually moving is in this adjacent space. But I don't think the home builders are dead forever. I think we are still going to need to put more supply on, you know, in, in the home in the home space over the next couple of years. Um, and I think that there are probably some opportunities here in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. But right now we are going to continue to see that pressure on the home builders based on mortgage rates. Right. Pete, why are you still sitting in DR Horton uh, down 11 and a half percent over uh, the last month? Yeah. And uh, year-to-date, 30%. Yeah, that's that's pretty painful. It's a, it's a stock that I've had for a really long time, Scott. I, I like the name still. I think I totally agree with what Shannon was just talking about, the undersupply. This is one of the biggest builders from an entry level and, and the moving up level. I like what they do, Scott. They trade extremely cheap, but they are unfortunately tethered to a lot of different things right now that are negatively impacting the stock. It's definitely been pulling back. I, I continue to look at it. It's been one of these names, though, Scott, where I, I, I don't know why I need to sell it, so I continue to hold on to it. And I do think it will be able to make a turn over time. But it certainly has been on a terrible run of late. But I've got it at such good prices that I'm still holding on. I guess if it, if it really did collapse for some reason, which I don't foresee, then I'd probably have to exit. But for right now, I'm holding on to it. I appreciate that. Sports betting, it is surging. Yep. Big shock during March Madness. What it means for stocks like DraftKings falling 30% this year. We'll talk about that when we come back. All right, one of betting's biggest weekends upon us with college basketball's Final Four. Lots of stocks, obviously, in the spotlight with that. Contessa Brewer joining us with more. It's good to see you. I mean, I don't know how this ranks with the Super Bowl, but it's got to be up there. Well, over the course of the whole tournament, uh, Scott, traditionally March Madness brings in more wagers than the Super Bowl as a single event. But 65 percent of March Madness bettors say they have bet more this year than ever before. Thirty one percent of Americans between the ages of 21 and 64 bet on the tournament, according to a sports handle national research group survey taken after the Elite Eight round. Sixty three percent say they wagered more than 100 bucks. 
39% say they bet at least 250. And the survey indicates 60% of bettors didn't even fill out a bracket, with more than half saying that legalized sports betting has made them less interested in brackets, either that or not being in the office. There are more bettors in the 21 to 34 age group than those older than 45. And women, by the way, Love an underdog even more than men. Very popular. St. Peter's, of course. The survey indicates what could be key for future growth for the likes of DraftKings, Penn, Rush Street Interactive, and Bally. Young adults and women could be crucial to growing the sports betting base and those increasing bet amounts. Just today, Jeffrey's uh, David Katz published an analysis concluding just because these stocks are cheap, you mentioned that DraftKings is down 30% this year. Well, it doesn't necessarily make them a good buy. With the cost of acquiring customers still top of mind here, Katz picks FanDuel parent Flutter, Caesars, MGM, and its partner in BetMGM and Tain as top picks for being complete enterprises with the resources to absorb losses. For those wondering here, Duke is the top liability for points bet, taking 10% of the bets and 25% of the handle. If already 31% of adults 21 to 64 have bet, can you imagine what we're going to see going into Final Four and the championship game, Scott? I hear you. Contessa, thank you. That's Contessa Brewer. I mean, Pete, uh, we got the Super Bowl and you got the Final Four and the NCAA tournament over within the course of the past three months, obviously. And as Contessa said, yep. DraftKings shares are down 30%. So, I mean, if the stock is not going to perform when the Super Bowl of Super Bowls is happening for your company, right. what does that tell you? And you used to own this, at least in terms of options, and you no longer do. Yep. No, no. But I would say this, though, Scott. You know, it's an incredibly uh, competitive environment. We know that. Everybody's reaching out for this because they know they see the growth. And Contessa did a great job of describing that. She also talked about... The cost of that growth. What is the cost to gather these customers a and lot. so forth? Yes, it's great. It, yeah, it is a lot. And, and that's been part of the problem. So the problem is it's very much like what we're seeing right now with everybody fighting over, you know, the eyeballs, whether it's Netflix and Paramount, all these different uh, sources in terms of streaming. I think that's what these guys are facing as well. It's going to be a very tough fight and nobody wants to give up so i think it's something that we're going to be watching it's going to be great for all of us i don't think it's going to be great for these stocks okay we'll do final trades next are you following the halftime report podcast what are you waiting for real debate and actionable advice from the investment committee plus unusual activity and more look for us in your favorite podcasting app follow the halftime podcast now We're going to do final trades in just a minute. First, though, Richie Saps. I want to talk about some sales of yours that are very interesting. You sold Salesforce. Tell me why. We like software tremendously, but I had to raise cash to add to oil. Uh, so that was on the chopping block. Is that the same reason you sold BlackRock and Stryker no. and Mercado Libre? Uh, so we sold BlackRock because we, we immediately wanted to uh, reduce correlation with the S&P. We, we feel the stock's very highly correlated uh, to market moves, so it was a great way to de-risk. Okay. Uh, Melly, uh, we wanted to reduce global emerging market exposure. They're, they're, it's a great company. We still own a position in it. And uh, Stryker. 
Stryker, we own Medtronic, so uh, we had we wanted to get rid of one of them. I got you. Give me a final trade while I have you quickly, please. Uh, Canadian Natural Resources, $73 trillion oil company, uh, 11% free cash flow, 3.8% dividend yield. Uh, great hedge against the current environment. All right, good seeing you. Good to have you back. Pete Nigerian. I'm going to give you Ericsson, Swedish Telecom, Scott. They're buying April 10s again, twice now in the last three days. Okay. Steve Weiss. I don't want to steal your final trade, but Duke, Long, and I'm just staying in cash for now. <laughs> I think your mic was cut. I didn't even hear it. What would you say? <laughs> I said, you're going Long, Duke, you're telling me my ear like that was serious. <laughs> Shannon. <laughs> Intuitive surgical is my final trade. Okay, anybody but. All right. Have a good weekend, everybody. The exchange is now. I'll see you in OT. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.